0: Ladies and gents, welcome back. We've got Ryan French with us today, who's, <laughs> who's leading some of the cloud stuff at Uview. He's going to give us a little bit of insight into Uview, the business, some of their scaling challenges. We've also got a really excited party in the background. <laughs> and we, we've got some interesting kettle analogies to explore. So stay tuned with this one. Uh, for us and Ryan, nice to meet you. How are you doing?
1: Not too bad about yourself.
0: All good, all good. Uh, give us a bit of an insight into UView and your role at sure. UView. Just imagine I'm a dummy.
1: Okay, so uh, UView is a joint venture between some of the biggest kind of names in media in the UK. So BBC, ITV, Channel 4, Channel 5, uh, Kiva, and then BT and TalkTalk as well. So what we provide is a TV platform for the discovery of content across one of the largest selections of content in the UK. So everything from those public service broadcasters, as well as content from Netflix and Amazon Prime. Nice. Uh, Also the paid channels that you get through our ISP shareholders. So things like BT Sport, AMC, Now TV, and Sky. Yep. So what we kind of give them is mostly on our set-top boxes. You can search in one place and have a unified place to find all of that content. We'll recommend it to you, whether it's on demand or on live TV, if it's coming up so that you can record or watch it later.
0: Nice. Okay. I think a lot of people listening to this uh, will be UK-based. They'll be quite familiar with the brand. Good. It's spot on. I was asking you to do that, but absolutely spot on. So tell me a little bit about your role, your last, I think, it's five, six years with the business, what that's looked like. Let's explore that a little bit more.
1: Sure. So I came into UVU uh, fresh to the country from New Zealand with, uh, as a mid-level engineer. Okay. Uh, working as a cloud services engineer, so this was way back when UVU was effectively a flash app running on a set-top box that was very much device centric. Yeah, and I came in for what we called our next gen platform, which was the um, oh sorry, our next gen U- UI, which was a JavaScript HTML five app yeah. that was cloud based. Okay. So we were taking a lot of the logic from the set-top box, moving it into the cloud. Okay. So I started off there and over the next sort of five years, I've moved from a mid-level engineer through to working in our cloud platform team Nice. Uh, where I became the tech lead and now I am a lead cloud platform engineer at UVU. So the majority of my work is focused on how we deploy. Uh, our developer experience, how we monitor and operate our platform, uh, how we develop all of these new services that we're building and how we make sure everything is running
0: smoothly. Nice. Okay. We've got, um, and why I'm looking forward to this conversation is because there's a couple of things, not necessarily against the grain, but you're doing things quite different to maybe, I think, how others would approach a set of problems Uh, That's what I'm keen to explore. Uh, Are we able to explore numbers at all, as in so people can understand um, some sort of scale, as in how many customers, some of that load? Uh,
1: So I can't really talk about the number of customers that we have. Sure. Uh, In in essence, Uview has, um, well, we're a business-to-business company. These yep. days, uh, we did start off as a consumer facing company, but we're more focused on our business to business integration now. Uh, to give you an idea of the scale of how many requests we get a day. So we yep. have 5 billion requests per day coming into our CDN and about 350 million of those make their way to our, uh, our back end services. Uh, we, we get uh, what we call a background noise of two to 3,000 transactions per second. And then at seemingly random times during the day, that'll spike up to eighty to 100,000.
0: Yeah. Okay. And that's, I'm keen to go right back to the beginning or even take some steps back. So a couple of things that we always explore on here is architecture and how that's made up or how you build for some of that. So uh, if we do roll it back uh, a couple of steps and we think to the point of how, how are you setting yourself up to deal with something like that and the challenges that come with that? Talk to us about some of that.
1: Sure. So uh, right from the get go, one of the, the patterns that I guess we wanted to use throughout the system was uh, a pattern called CQRS, uh, which is where you have your request that are trying to alter something uh, in the cloud. Okay, is run by a different service to the one that is actually responding. So so you can say, I need to add this recording to my set top box. Yeah. And then when you go back and say what recordings are on my set top box, they're handled by different services. Okay, Uh, that gave us some really big advantages. So when you've got, you know, 60 to 80 to 100 K transactions all coming in in the space of a minute or two.
0: Yeah.
1: Having a single service that is able to deal with all of those and a completely separate service that can then say, well, here's your recordings list. Yep. Uh, some of the technologies we've done to help with that is we use a lot of um, AWS managed services. Okay. So in particular for our CQRS services, we use something called Kinesis. Yeah. And so the way it works is that when uh, when someone wants to add an item to their recordings list, we say, uh, the setup box tells us, add this item to my list. And we say, right, it's now on Kinesis. And we tell the box, we've accepted it, uh, but it's not processed yet. Okay. So we do that through some of the, the HTTP semantics by returning a 202 response to it. And then within the next second or two, we've got another service that's sitting there, listening to that Kinesis stream, processing all of the data that's coming in and writing it to a database. Okay. Um, So I think generally it takes less than 500 milliseconds for one of those requests to come in, even at our largest peak traffic times.
0: Okay. Uh, And is CQRS fairly new
1: to the business? Mm, uh, So we've been using this for about five or six years now. So basically it was the pattern that we decided to use back when we first started building cloud services. Nice. Uh, In terms of the actual pattern, it's, it's definitely not new. Uh, it was not new when we started it. But yeah. I think the way that we've built it out uh, using the cloud native solutions yeah. is definitely something kind of unique to
0: us. Nice. Okay. Well, were you involved five years ago when you chose that pattern by any chance?
1: Uh, actually, I have a feeling it was decided before I joined, just before I joined.
0: Okay, uh, I'm. <laughs> I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I feel like see a little grin there. Um, I'm just trying to think about being in an engineering room. You've got a set of problems, and is it a case of looking at all of the set patterns that you could potentially choose and deciding where your where your set of problems best apply to that pattern? I, th-
1: I think it, it is. Uh... I guess naively originally when we first started, we had this idea that everything was going to use CQRS. Oh, okay. Uh, and so we we kind of took this pattern and uh, tried, you know, the hammer and nail approach of every solution was going to use this. Okay. Um, what we found though is that we ended up in a situation where um, we had rather than all of those benefits you get, you get from microservices, you know, things that you could scale up different things and yep. you could deploy faster and build faster and test things easier. We had this kind of distributed monolith. Okay. So, so a request would come in and rather than just a single service responding to it, it would have to go and make requests to three or four other services, uh, to kind of reply and that Started introducing a whole bunch of issues um, around when we needed to do a deployment. You're no longer deploying one service. You're deploying four things at once. And and, uh, when something goes wrong, where did it go wrong? Okay. Uh, So I think one thing we've gotten very good at now is looking at the actual problem list. And like you say, we we put them up and we say, which of these is the biggest problem? Okay. Uh, We know what patterns work. We know which patterns we've used before. Yeah. And we can kind of say, well, we know that this one is going to get massive spikes in traffic at these times, but we also know that it needs to have data from multiple sources. How do we use our current knowledge of patterns to to build this, or do we just go with something completely new?
0: Yeah. Okay, that that's quite an interesting approach. I can I, I can see myself in a room actually trying to understand set of problems, let's just say on a board, and in what sequence will they follow, deal with those accordingly?
1: Yeah, it, I mean, there's always going to be downsides to every approach you choose. Nice. Uh, you know, I, I feel when we chose the CQRS pattern, it's allowed us to solve problems that we would never have been able to solve through you know, scaling or, or any of these other yeah. um, dials that you can turn or levers that you can pull. Uh, so it was very much a case of which of these are deal breakers and which of these are nice nice to have. Like, Where do we sit these and how do we balance them all?
0: And my next question kind of pertains to what I was saying again, uh, against the grain of maybe how companies would typically approach problems in the current climate with cloud, serverless, everything else at our fingertips. Talk talk to us a little bit about um, infrastructure and ops and this idea of being virtualized instead of, or moving from virtual to containers instead of going down the route of serverless.
1: Sure. So we've gone through quite a journey, um, even since I joined at UVU. Uh, originally, we had a few kind of very big services that hosted all of our metadata and other systems that were running in traditional data centers uh, here in the UK. And then we moved those to AWS running on virtual machines. Um, and and that was kind of where we sat for a little while. Okay. So for about 18 months, we were just building everything in virtual machines, deploying it on EC2, just doing the same thing uh and then uh i think it was within sort of 12 months of me joining we started investigating containers they were still fairly new at that time uh things like kubernetes was kind of new yeah uh we we did explore it for a little bit and found that we kept breaking it and and uh And so it was basically impossible for me to say to my manager, look, it's great. Containers, Kubernetes, it's amazing. But it breaks every six hours. Is is that going to be a problem? Um, So we've uh, started looking at other ways to run containers. And we found uh, Amazon's ECS was was very easy for us to run. Mm. I think one of the things I probably should have said at the beginning is that our platform team is quite small. Okay, Um, We have... Uh dozens of engineers at UV working in the cloud, yep. our platform team is made up of three people currently okay. uh, it's my myself and two others Why is and
0: so that, and you'll uh, actually you're probably about to tell us
1: well uh it comes down to to where resourcing goes right um, what we' found is that there's a really good balance by having uh by putting a lot of faith in amazon's and clouds systems right we We use managed services wherever we can. Yep. And by that there isn't as much burden on infrastructure and platform as there could be if you were trying to run these things yourselves. Yeah um, So that does allow us to to kind of run with a smaller platform team. We also um, we run the, the idea that uh, everyone is responsible for their their own infrastructure and services. So it's not that the three of us are responsible for the entire platform. We're responsible for the tooling and for the guidance and the training and the helping of other engineers who are responsible for their, their systems. Uh, the reason though that we didn't go fully serverless, because obviously uh, if you're thinking you don't want to, to maintain these things, why not go fully serverless? Yeah, Is that uh, for a lot of it, it's cost prohibitive. Okay. Uh, serverless is amazing in some ways, and it's not that we don't use it. We, we have a number of services running in either Fargate, which is Amazon's uh, containers yep. that are serverless, uh, Lambda, things like glue. Uh, we have all of these things, but we just have to pick where we use them. Uh, if we, say, had one of our services that receives 150 million requests a day yep. running in serverless, uh, well, there's, there's limits to what Lambda can do. Okay. It can't do 150 million a day uh, without having to plead with Amazon to up some limits. Uh, and the cost is astronomical.
0: That's going to get pricey.
1: Yeah, compared to, uh, I think at the moment, we're just moving that service from EC2 into a container. Okay. And we're going to do it with six small containers. Fine. So, you know, it, it's really, again, it's all about that balancing act. Um, at the same time, we have other services that receive 300 requests a day. They're running with a load balancer, triggering a Lambda. It's, yep. It just makes sense.
0: Well, where do some of your challenges or ambiguity come with your scaling? because we're talking about different variants of requests per second in different environments. So w- where does that ambiguity come from?
1: A lot of it comes down to the users. You know, uh, the people who are using the set-top boxes, the way that they watch TV is very different, right? Yep. Uh, so the service that is receiving a few hundred requests a day, that's just one of the settings options okay so it's, it's literally someone going in and ch- and toggling an option in their settings yeah if you compare that to someone opening the guide on the tv yeah or a, you know that's that's happening hundreds of thousands of times a day my girlfriend's constantly changing the channel
0: yeah exactly
1: it's like everyone a show ends you open up the guide what else is on yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah exactly <laughs>
1: uh, and the other one uh, particularly uh, it's one that I've come back to quite a lot when I'm talking about this stuff is our recording system. Okay. Uh, So even though most people are moving to, to watching on demand content, you know, the, you know, that there's, it's no secret that, uh, that traditional kind of broadcast TV is, is falling off a little bit and on demand is picking up. We're still seeing though that people, the way people consume content is still kind of time-based. Okay. It's still very much uh, I get home from work at six o'clock. I watch the news yeah. while I make some dinner. The kids get home from school uh, at four o'clock and they put on Peppa Pig or Fireman Sam. Uh, <laughs> and so you get these, these very large peaks where even though people are opening up Netflix to watch something there, it's it's all still very much time-based for us.
0: And rolling that back, the the monitoring and observability of that, I'm sure needs to be really on point to make sure you know what's going to happen on a a Saturday, or if there' or I'm guessing here, maybe even events or an X factor going on, do you need to plan for that, or am I just running off into the distance?
1: So we have uh, done some work to try and plan for these things.: Okay. One of the biggest kind of shifts that's happened with uh, everyone working from home now and being on lockdown is that we used to be able to not so much know that at three o'clock on this time, we're going to see a peaking traffic, but we'd at least know that we were going to receive more traffic in the evening than during the day. That doesn't happen anymore. Uh, we're seeing these patterns kind of move around the clock. Okay. Uh, we have looked at a few different ways that we could try and predict when we're going to see large... Uh, spikes in traffic yeah. but there's a lot of variables you know um is it sunny outside is it a school day that's true uh, is is it you know, is there something good on tv we've we've got over 100 channels available on some of our set top boxes so trying to figure out which like if if every channel is going to have something on that's popular that day uh, and of course there's always the the big one that uh, when there's a breaking news announcement yeah. And everyone turns on their box to watch it. There's no way for us to predict that.
0: Yeah. So when Boris announces he's going to do an 8pm, it's just like, really? <laughs> <Something> like <that. laughs>
1: it was interesting when we um, we tried to put some machine learning across our traffic patterns to figure out when was going to be big spikes. And they just couldn't figure anything out. Really? Uh, yeah. There, there was... No way for them to predict the load because it's just too many variables in place. And ultimately, it comes down to human behavior. Yeah. Uh, And there's just no predicting for that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there isn't. There isn't. Can can you hit us with the the kettle analogy, though?
1: Sure. So uh, there's a really unique uh, phenomenon that basically just occurs in the UK. What it is, is that in the UK, we have kettles that are high powered compared to other parts of the world. Yeah. Uh, as well as an addiction to tea. So <laughs> and so what you find, uh the the power grids here in the UK are having to be uh have to cope with stress, just like our platform. Because when there's a really popular show on, like Strictly or you know, ESEnders or, or whatever people are watching these days, yeah. uh it comes on and then the ad break goes on, everyone stands up to go make a cup of tea and it causes a massive surge on the power grid. Uh, yep. Sometimes it has actually caused outages through uh, this phenomenon that's called you know, TV pickup.
0: Nice, I love that. I, I I can't say I'm guilty of that. I'm not. I'm not a T man, but <laughs> I can just see it happening around households across the UK, just contributing <laughs> to a shortage because yep. factors stopped. <laughs> it's it's interesting listening to your journey and uh, i didn't know about the um cqrs trying to fit all and um trying some services for 18 months realizing it didn't work what what would you say were your biggest learnings during the last 5 6 years about let's say cloud or let's say scaling what what would you say are foundational learnings that you can really take away or part knowledge with for everyone listening?
1: I think from a cloud perspective, the, the biggest one for me is getting in your observability and monitoring early. Yeah. Uh, there's a journey that we're going through at the moment to really increase uh, the observability we have within the system. Uh, so adding things like tracing um, through the system so we can tell where exactly a request failed okay uh, and making sure that our monitoring is just top-notch and and we're able to see when things go wrong i guess for me personally the thing that i've i've seen them well kind of learnt the most over the last five years is that uh, when you try and abstract things away to find a common way of doing things that fits everything you're going to end up with something that doesn't fit anything okay so so like I was saying before with the CQRS pattern, we tried to make it fit everything, yeah. and it just didn't work. Now we, we kind of have, have stepped away from that, and we're finding that we're able to do things using completely different patterns in some ways that fit much easier. And it's really improved our speed to deployments and the way that we're able to build these services.
0: Has it made you look at problems completely different to where you were five years ago
1: yeah absolutely we spent a lot of time five years ago we had these templates that everything was built off and we were focusing on the kind of small piece of of what the service yeah. actually did yeah. you know it was just a bit of code that you wrote that would do talk to the database or yeah or look up this thing now we kind of look at them as a more complete package the infrastructure is a part of the system you know it's not just running on ec2 it's got All sorts of things like EventBridge or SNS, SQS, all of these things that are kind of feeding into it. And they're as much a part of the service as the code that you're writing.
0: Okay. That's interesting. We've uh, we've done a lot of work, you and I, on um, talking about UView. Can we talk about some of the team? You mentioned three people in platform, you mentioned the rest being in cloud. Can you give us some indication as to? even like a, a a day in the life of, so so we can understand that. Because I think a lot of people listening will be really interested off the back of this. It's relatable to, like you say, human behavior. What we as humans do is we get home from school, everyone's watching TV. Not everyone, but a large majority of us are. Give us some insight into the work and the good work that engineers are doing. Uh, you view in a day in the life of
1: sure so we've got uh, a few different teams within our cloud team Uh, so our three kind of streams of work we have our data team who's responsible for uh, the ingestion and analysis of uh, all of the the data that's coming in from the set top box yeah Uh, we've got the platform team which i'm a part of we kind of look after like I, I kind of said everything that we do before yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, around the, the platform as a whole uh, and the tooling that developers are using. Then we have our core team who's responsible for the actual services that are running. Okay. So we have uh, a large number of services that they're responsible for. Uh, they focus primarily on what we call our enablement services. Okay. So that's things like our identity model, uh, our metadata models and ingestion other services that don't necessarily drive something that the, that the user ends up seeing. Okay. Uh, There is another team within uh, another group within Uview uh, called our application software group. And they're responsible for the, uh, the application that runs on the set top box from a UI perspective and all of the services that it talks to. Okay. So uh, we kind of have this, this split across there Uh, in terms of a day to day, it really depends on where you're kind of sitting on those teams. Okay. Um, we have a lot of different projects going on at any one time. Uh, so typically it, it starts off, you have an hour or two in the morning to kind of to ease yourself into doing whatever it is that you need to do for the day, catch yep. up on emails and stuff. We normally have a stand-up around 10 to 10.30 for most of the teams where people just kind of, yeah, it's the the agile way. This is yep. what I did yesterday. This is what I'm going to do today. No, Nice. And then it's it's off the rest of your day. So uh, at the moment, I'm working on some services uh, that are being moved from tasks running on ECS to running in Lambdas. Cool. Uh, so, so that's kind of been a lot of the work I've been doing lately and looking at how we can develop those quicker by spinning up, I guess, a, a local version of AWS on my laptop. Nice. Okay, that's quite cool. Uh, some of the other guys are working on systems for for doing uh, the metadata ingest systems that we have. Nice. And you know, they're ingesting metadata from all sorts of, of different systems. So all of the public service broadcasters here in the UK, plus Amazon Prime, plus Netflix, wow. uh, plus BT. So all of that data is kind of coming in and they're making it searchable. They're figuring out, you know, if you've got this sort of set-top box, are you yeah. able to see these things? Uh, so there's a lot of really cool work there. And then we have our um, identity models. So you know, how do I access my recordings list and make sure that no one else can see it? Uh, things like that. The UI teams, I'm not as familiar with the things they're working on at the moment, yeah. uh, but they are building some really cool stuff around how do we make it so that you can see all of these, yeah. these cool shows that, people are, that the metadata team is putting together. Nice.
0: That's quite cool. The what I recognise, and I recognise this from afar. It seems as if you've you fostered a really strong engineering culture. Tenure is really healthy. I see within the business, and it, it looks as if people are able to find their feet and contribute massively. That that's just what I see and feel, um, and that's probably reflective of some of the good work or things that you guys have got going on at the moment
1: yeah I, I think it is definitely one of those places where um you know anyone can come in and start working on these things yeah and and contribute you know we definitely don't you know say i am the lead engineer you thou must do as i say yeah um, it's it's more of a case of, you like that <laughs> 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 some people might say i'm like that i hope not but <laughs> Uh, no, I think uh, it, we've got a very open kind of culture in there. Uh, UView is really strong in, in caring about the community of the people who work there. Yeah, uh, You know, this, this shift to fully remote working has been a challenge for everyone. Yeah. But we've, you know, right from the top with uh, our CEO, Susie, has been really pushing to make sure that we all still feel very close to each other. Yeah. That we're all supported in the ways that we need to. You know, we've got, you know, aside from just the strong engineering kind of background, we we have our social committee who puts together things like there's a chess tournament coming up for online chess. There's, you know, we celebrate all the major holidays of of various religions as well. Awesome. Uh, we've also got our diversity and inclusion team that was working very hard to try and make sure that UvU is a diverse and very inclusive
0: place. Nice. Um,
1: yeah, and of course, cool. the, yeah, yeah, it's it's hugely important to
0: all of us there at UvU as
1: well. Which really makes it nice being a part of of a company that cares about that sort of thing,
0: yeah, a hundred percent, and uh, actually you're you're delivering impactful work, uh, especially in times like this. you touch on it, and I have been usually with most of the people that I 'm talking to at the moment talking about coronavirus, but um bizarrely I didn't mention it and it probably is quite impactful for what's happened over the last year close to for all of you guys especially when you talk about human behaviors so um I can imagine that's been tough Uh, I can imagine that's been tough do you think you'll stay fully remote now
1: uh in some ways I I quite hope so (laughs) I, I believe it's still up in the air as to where we are I mean we've got Obviously, our cloud team, it doesn't really matter from a technical point of view of where we are. Yeah. You know, we're, we're operating in servers that sit in undisclosed locations yeah. somewhere within the UK. Um, yeah. so, uh, but we do still need to have some... Equipment, you know, I've I've got three set top boxes hooked up in my TV. Nice. Which, um, given I live in a one bedroom apartment with my partner and a puppy, uh, it's yeah. not a lot of room for any more equipment. Yeah. Uh, but we've also because we don't just build the application that people see, we also build the middleware that runs on the set top box. Yeah. And we've got testers who require access to full rigs worth of, of these set top boxes as well. Yeah. So um, they are mostly working remote now. Okay. Uh, Whereas, you yeah, know, our cloud team is is also working fully remote. Uh, I think the bigger challenges are around um making sure that we all stay in, in contact. Yeah. And yeah, it's those human aspects of the team building that really matter. Yeah. In some ways, we're lucky that we haven't had anyone new join the team since coronavirus. So we haven't had to go through that don't that say well we just haven't had to go through that awkwardness yet yeah we in some ways actually i found that we're communicating better now that we're not physically co-located okay yeah Um, yeah when i mentioned those three streams before of, of work those were three separate teams who sat in different parts of the office yeah and so it wasn't very often that someone from one of the other teams would come over and talk to me or i would go and talk to one of them now that we're all in slack Yeah, uh, I think it's really opened up communication in in a lot of ways.
0: I I do find you, you're very conscious of over communicating and being specific with, or I am anyway, with my words, how I'm trying to say things. So, yeah, it's a learning. It's a learning.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: (laughs) have you got any final messages or learning points that you can share with us about your experience or if people want to actually try and go and do something at scale? Because I think your story is really interesting. Any, any lasting messages that you can give us that we can just latch to? Do you think yeah. from your experience?
1: I guess um, one of the, the, the kind of the main thing um, for us is that, you know, the, the world of broadcast and streaming is is changing massively. And it's really interesting. There are these new problems that come up every day from uh, UV's perspective, we're both competing with and uh, competing against and working with some yeah. of the biggest names in, in broadcast media. And so it really pushes us to, to come up with a, a, a amazing new technologies to try and keep ahead of them. I think from the point of view of trying to build this stuff yourself, I I would definitely say, try and learn as much as you can about the different managed services at AWS, um, learn how they all interact. Cause that is often the tricky part. Yep. It's, um, it's learning how to put together all these different pieces, but yeah, other than that, it's, it's mostly just a matter of trial and error. uh, Unfortunately.
0: Yeah that that's good advice the, the managed services and that there's always innovation in that space. you know I was talking to someone uh, a little bit earlier oh, my light has gone um a little bit earlier around um m k s one of the managed services, and there's lots out there there's lots to learn but i I like your idea of understand the problems and think about the problems accordingly don't try and solve each individual problem with that same hammer going back to your cqrs reference i, I quite like that thank you i just want to say a big thanks you know obviously you view it's it's a product everyone touches well not everyone lots of people touch okay lots and lots of people touch so it it impacts us as a nation And it's really cool to listen to some of the stories and that five-year journey of how some things have changed. So I just want to say a big thanks for that.
1: Cool. Well, thank you for having me on.
0: Cool. And if you are listening, everyone... Ryan is, I'm sure, very happy for people to join the team, even though they haven't gone through that journey, (laughs) onboarding some remotely. Some links will be below so you can get in touch with the guys, talk to the guys, see what they're doing, and do reach out to him. He is a lovely bloke. Do reach out to him and explore a little bit more about what they're doing. So I just want to say a big thanks, Ryan. Cool. Thank you. And everyone, make sure you like and subscribe and share all of this stuff. And come and share your story. Come and share your story. Thanks a lot, guys. Hey, guys. Thanks for watching this episode. Uh, Massively appreciate you listening and checking in with us. If you want to find out more about us and what we're doing, please check us out on social media. What we're trying to do at Engineers is build a community to drive knowledge, sharing, and experiences. On Twitter, we can be found at engineers.io, it's no underscore. We've also got a website, which is engineers.io. These links will all be posted in the description. Any feedback and comments are massively appreciated. We're always looking to improve on where we can. Thanks, guys.